You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Uh, while the kids are making their way to their class, I will say uh, Pastor Trevor's not here today because he is in Canmore, and uh, Pastor Trevor's actually preaching at Crossway Community Church in Canmore, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, because Pastor Trevor's not here, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker for this morning. Um, Daryl Young is going to be preaching for us this morning. I'm just going to invite Daryl up. Come on up, Daryl. Uh, his wife, Judy, is with him. Um, They've been married for uh, close to 40 years now. It's a privilege, really a privilege to have him with us here this morning. Uh, a couple things I'll say about it is, so I, I mentioned Trevor's at Crossway Community Church in Canmore, and that's actually where uh, Daryl usually preaches. He's the lead pastor, the preaching pastor there at Crossway Community Church, and their church is actually exploring the possibility of becoming a GCC church. Uh, so they would be kind of within our scope of network, um, should all that come together. Uh, Daryl also, I'll let him tell, tell you more about this, but he's also one of the directors at a thing called Simeon Trust. Simeon Trust trains pastors in preaching and in leadership. Uh, it's a global ministry. I'll let him tell you more about it. Uh, but we're excited to have him come and preach the word and just hear from his heart as he uh, unpacks it from Scripture. So I'm going to pray for Daryl, and uh, we'll get right into it. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you that we can gather here in the name of Christ. Uh, thank you that uh, we can come here collectively as your church, the body whom you purchased with your own blood. And as was mentioned earlier, we're so grateful that you're an unchanging God. You're, you're a trustworthy God. And we know that what you say is true and we can uh, bank on it. We can, we can build our life upon it. Uh, we're grateful also for this promise that though we live now in this uh, world that is still um, cursed with sin, that is still broken and messy. We have this promise that, that you are returning, this hope and this confidence uh, that you will come and bring us home to be with you in eternity, in perfection, in this sinless, no sorrow, no death place of paradise, and we long for that day. In the meantime, Lord, keep us faithful. May even this morning, may we respond to your word. Pray you'd be with your servant, Daryl, as he ministers the word to us. Uh, Spirit, would you carry your words uh, from the text into our hearts that we may be responders of it, that we may ob obey your word and be worshipers of you in, in greater ways. Uh, so would you just affect our hearts here? Again, use your servant uh, to bring the word faithfully to us and affect our lives as a result. All in the, in the name of Christ and for your glory we ask in, in his name. Amen. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for that welcome. I actually felt uh, <clears throat> right at home just a second ago when the kids were all over there <clears throat> because we have just had uh, our 10th, our 10th grandchild was born this last week. And um, so when they all come over, that's pretty much it, what you just heard there. And uh, I'm told that we have one more coming in the next week and a half or so. Uh, we've raised four daughters, and uh, this last season, all four of them have been pregnant at once, which is alarming uh, in a way. <laughs> but that's what's been happening in our, in our neck of the woods. Yeah, so Michael's right. Um, I've been involved in uh, the Crossway Church in Canmore for a few years now, a couple years. And that church is completely independent, no connection uh, to any other organization. And we felt that that wasn't really a, a good thing. 
So we began exploring other groups that we might partner with, and the Great Commission Collective just became the obvious one for us. And so we are in that process. So today, uh, Trevor and Heather are there, and also um, I think you know uh, Clinton and Kim Whitford. They're also up there. It seems to be pastor getaway to the mountains today. Um, so that's what's happening there. And so, yeah, over the next uh, few, wi- few weeks, we'll be looking at that process of becoming friends. And so it's, it's just amazing as, as we have developed this and gotten to know the Great Commission Collective, there's a real sense of, of feeling at home. And so we already feel that. So we're, we're super excited about that. So that's what's happening there. Uh, you might know more about our thrift store. If you've ever been to Canmore and gone to the thrift store, that's us. Uh, the, the church owns and operates that. And so come on up for the weekend. You can come to church or you can come up and spend your money in the thrift store, whatever you want. That's all, that's all there for you. Now, I'm also the Associate D- Director of International Workshops for the Charles Simeon Trust. And I just want to introduce that ministry to you. Several of your pastors and leaders have gone to the local workshop that we've held here in Calgary over the last number of years. Uh, but this is an, an international ministry, and my area actually is Canada and Asia. So we've got our Toronto workshop coming up in a little while, and then we're hoping to get into Quebec the lower mainland. We've been operating in Calgary here for about 20 years. And so this is a ministry that is designed to train the working pastor in word ministry. That's the idea. And what I do typically, I look after China and India and Southeast Asia, places like that. And of course, we've been shut out for the last couple of years. Uh, But I think things are starting to open up and we should be getting back into it. Now, we've got a couple pictures here from this last week. That's, those are the guys from Calgary there. We're at Grace uh, Calvary Grace Church, but 35 pastors there. And there is a story with every one of those guys. It looks like, well, maybe not that big a group, but every one of those guys is his own story. And many of them are pastors of churches. They're preaching uh, this weekend. The guy there, um, that's James Seward. He is a pastor from Ontario, and he's one of the guys giving the talks. We are working pastors training working pastors. And so a lot of our instructors aren't super well-known, but they're men who have uh, worked out in, in the trenches their pulpit ministry, and, and they bring a lot to this. Now, at every one of these things, there are always, you know, some guys that are kind of in the back, they're making trouble, they're rebel rousers, and so the hooligans, you know, you get them at every one of these kinds of things. <laughs> so you were, you were well-represented uh, this last week. Now, like I mentioned, my area, is, a lot of it is involved in the overseas part in Asia, and I came home uh, in 2020 on March 14th uh, from India, and so I haven't left the continent since, and I'm really itching to go, but this, uh, this shot here, again, there's an amazing shot there. Every single guy in that picture is either a missionary or a pastor or a leader of a church or a church planter. These guys are spread out all over the Hyderabad area. Some of these guys are missionaries to the Muslim world. A couple of these guys told me stories you wouldn't believe about going and preaching, getting beat up by a bunch of Muslims, and then coming back and doing it again. Can you imagine that? And so when we get the the privilege of sitting down with these guys, opening up our Bibles and saying, how can we get better as preaching? It is a deep, deep privilege, I got to tell you. And that's just one place of of many that we go. So that's all I want to say about that. I just want you to know about the Simeon Trust. By the way, the Simeon Trust has just worked out a formal partnership with the Great Commission Collective. 
And so we're super excited about that. And the idea is that every, every pastor in the Great Commission Collective goes through uh, this training and gets better. If you want to know more, there's actually a lot of material on there for lay people. And so you can just go to our website, just Google Simeon Trust, and you'll go right to it. And there's actually tons of material uh, for, for you as well. So it's not just for pastors. All right, enough of all that. I am so glad I've got some of the best news ever to share with you today. I would invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to look at chapter 4 today. Here's the deal. Paul calls Christians to live hopefully in light of their eternal destiny. And even more, to refine that statement even more, because this is going to have direct application for you, Paul calls Christians to encourage one another in light of their eternal destiny. Now, I believe that in some ways, Christians are the most pessimistic people of all. Why is a Christian pessimistic? Well, a Christian is pessimistic because they can see the cross, and it reminds them of the need for the cross, which was failure, rebellion, sin, rot, death. And so we need the cross because of everything that we see around us. So in that sense, a Christian is pessimistic. But there's another sense where the Christian is the most optimistic. Why? Because we see the empty tomb. And it's a reminder of the triumph of good over evil, the triumph of Christ over the forces of darkness, the triumph of life over death. So at the same time, we're pessimistic and we're optimistic. Now, it's kind of strange when we consider our world in spite of everything that we've experienced in the last couple of years, did you know democracy, peace, literacy, health, life expectancy, safety have all been going up in dramatic ways in the last generation? If you look at the numbers, you'll see that poverty is down. You'll see that life expectancy is increasing. In our culture, we're expected by the end of this century to have an average life expectancy of 92 years. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. That happens because on almost every human metric, things are improving. Did you know that the elephant population in Kenya has tripled in the last 30 years? It's true. That's true. Or the tigers in India have doubled in the last 12 years. You're thinking, what, what's this about tigers and elephants? I'm just saying, there are metrics that would blow your mind about what's happening in our world. So much is so much better. Yet, yet, doesn't feel like that, does it? We're constantly being asked to believe things that we know are simply not true. And one of the things this last couple of years has exposed or caused whatever, is that we're at each other in weird ways. Do you feel that? Do you just feel we're at each other? It, it, it feels like there's a, a kind of a social frustration. And so I could throw all the metrics at you about how wonderful everything, and you're going to go, I don't know about that. doesn't seem like that. doesn't feel like that. Now, for perspective, Jonathan Edwards made a great quote. He said, this world is all the hell that a Christian shall ever endure and it's all the heaven the unbelievers shall ever enjoy. 
So we do live in this kind of middle ground here, don't we, between hell and heaven. We live in this middle space where there are spectacular things to experience, like the birth of a baby. But there's also terrible things to experience, and the wreckage is just simply all around us. Things are not perfect, and the world is groaning under the weight of its own rebellion and foolishness. And so, we're like the Thessalonians, who are wondering about the return of Christ. It runs all the way through the book. It's actually quite interesting. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 10, there's a reference to waiting for his son from heaven. And over in 2.19, the idea of the Lord Jesus at his coming, and in 3.13, at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints, and over in 5.23, again, a reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus. We see it in every single chapter, including chapter 4, where we're going to turn and look right now. So go there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air." And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, I think that what we find when we run through this here is this key word, hope. And I know that that word, hope, and that name, hope, is important in this place. Am I right? Hope. So, we're going to center everything around this idea of hope. Look at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. The first thing we have is a hopeful grief. We have a hopeful grief. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of funerals. I know you have too. And I hear this kind of, I hear this often from Christians. They'll say, well, I'm so glad that I'm a Christian because I've been to a non-Christian funeral where they have no hope. And I don't know, I used to do a lot of pinch hitting at a funeral home. They would call me when the family had no pastor, no connection, and I would come in. So I've done a lot of non-Christian funerals. And I have to say that it's common for there to be a kind of blasé, superficial hope at a non-Christian funeral. The guy giving the tribute even though we know that Uncle Ned was a terrible person who had no faith, he's got him in heaven. He's got him maybe up in the rafters watching down on us now or, or all these kind of things. There's an often assumption that Uncle Ned's in a better place, even though he had no connection to Christianity all, at all. So I actually find that often there is a kind of hopefulness even at non-Christian funerals. I don't think they put their hope in the right things. I don't think they understand completely but there is this kind of thing. 
Well, what about us? What about our funerals? Well, sadly, I think sometimes Christian funerals can be marked by a kind of desire to do away with grief. Well, we know where, we know where dad is. We know where grandpa went, and so we shouldn't be sad. Well, notice that Paul is not suggesting that there is no grief. The assumption in the wording there is that we do grieve, but we just grieve in a way that's got an undercoat, an underlying hopefulness to it. Now, what about the Thessalonians, though? What were they concerned about? I don't think Paul here is actually addressing Christian funerals, per se. What were the Thessalonians worried about? Why were they potentially grieving? Well, we're not exactly sure, but what we think it was, was this, that the talk of the return of Christ was in the air. Some of these people might have been alive, might maybe remembered when Jesus ascended into heaven. And remember what he said there in Acts chapter, or what the angel said when Jesus had ascended. He said, the way you saw him go, he's going to come back again in the clouds. And there was a belief that that would happen within their lifetimes. But some of their friends had died, and so they were worried, well, what about my friend or my relative who's died, and when Jesus comes back, will they miss out on that? That seems to be the confusion. And then Paul is addressing this here. And he's saying, guys, don't worry. Don't, don't grieve for your loved one as those who have no hope. They were worried that they would miss the resurrection. So there's two things that Paul doesn't want. One, he doesn't want them to be ignorant. You see that there in the text? I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand. And the second thing he doesn't want is hopeless grieving. And notice the euphemism here. He says, don't worry about those who are asleep and yet in verse 13, or in verse 12, 13. And at the end of verse 14, he talks about those who have fallen asleep. At the end of verse 15, those who have fallen asleep. Asleep here is clearly a euphemism for death. Remember when Jesus raised that little girl from the dead, he said, don't be afraid, she's only sleeping. Well, what he meant was, no, she was actually physically dead, but I'm about to raise her from the dead. If she was just asleep, I, anybody could have walked up and nudged her and just woken her up. It would not have been a miracle that we remember 2,000 years later. But Jesus was saying, I am here and I am bigger than death and I can take care of the death problem by rousing her from death and waking her up. So death is, is talked about in this term of sleep. They are asleep in the sense that they will be walking around and breathing again. You know, my father died this last fall. He was 90. And it was one of those things, I'm sure many of you have been through it, where when you hear the news, you're surprised, but you're not surprised. My dad was old, his body was failing, his mind was failing, and so when I heard the news, I was shocked. But I wasn't really shocked. You've been through that, some of you have. And at his funeral, we cried and we laughed. There were, there were moments when the tears were just flowing, especially after the slideshow. The slideshows are deadly at funerals. You know that. And I, I set it up so that my cousin spoke right after the slideshow and not me. That was a little trick that I've learned over the years. So we're used to this idea of grieving, but not grieving hopelessly, because during that service we also laughed several times. Because my dad did and said some kind of quirky things. 
Well, all of this raises a question here. When we talk about this idea of those who have fallen asleep, and Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about them, and I don't want you to grieve hopelessly about them, it raises the question, what happens to me when I die? And we'll get there in a second. But notice, beyond having a hopeful grief, we also have a hopeful creed. A hopeful creed. This is really important. Look at verse 14. For since we believe, Paul is going to lay out what they believe. In other words, what is the creed? What is their belief system? You know the word incredulous or incredible. Incredible means not believable. And so what is the creed? The creed is this. It's very simple. It's very clear. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended, and he's coming back. That is our creed. That's what we believe. This is why we grieve with hopefulness. What a statement, though. He will bring with him those who have already died. So your friends, your loved ones who have died, they're coming back too. They're coming back with Jesus. And by the way, take note of the direction of travel in this passage. That's really important. Who's going where? Who's traveling from where to where? So here is what we believe, Jesus says, uh, Paul says, and he says it's about Jesus dying and rising again. By the way, here is the core, here's the heartbeat of the gospel. Here's why this church exists. Here's the main message of this church. It's this message that Jesus died and he rose again. That is the core. That's the heartbeat of the gospel. The gospel involves more than that, but when you boil it down, that is the message. Jesus died and rose again. Have you come to believe this? Do you accept this? Is this new to you? Oh, if it's new to you, that's great. It's great. It's the greatest news ever. And again, the message of this church is that you heed this call, you hear this call, what Jesus says, to the call to repent and believe. Repent and believe what? Repent of your sin and your rebellion and believe this right here, that Jesus died and rose again. That's the heartbeat of it. This is our hopeful creed. Notice verse 14, here's what we believe. Notice verse 15, here's what we declare. Here's what we declare by a word from the Lord. Again, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus is laying out here, this, this is an end times kind of thing, isn't it? This is at the, the end of the age. This is, this is how everything will conclude. And he's saying this is what we believe and this is what we declare. And so we believe that those who have already died, they're going to be coming back with Jesus. And those of us who are left alive, we're going to be taken care of as well. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quick there. You can flip over there or... Scan over there in your device. I'm not quite sure how that works, but look over to 1 Corinthians 15. He says this in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul is saying, I'm going to give you the very core, the very heartbeat of our message. And it's this, that Jesus died and he rose again. And then look over to verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If Jesus was resurrected, you will be resurrected. So two groups are in consideration here for when Jesus returns. Those who have already died and those who are left alive. Those who have died will come first. Then those who are left alive, they will not precede them. So Paul's telling the Thessalonians, don't worry about them. They'll be taken care of. And this is why we treat grieving with the truth. It's way better than superficial approaches. Way better than non-biblical approaches, like those heaven tourism books that were popular a few years ago. You can still find them in the big box stores on the shelves. And, and they're, they're not helpful in the long run. They might be encouraging in the short run, but they're not helpful because they're all different. They're not based on the, on, on the Bible. And so it's not a great idea to try to find comfort in a superficial story. Far better to find comfort in the rock-solid Word of God. Amen? Our hope for the future is deepened by a knowledge and understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ, of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his eventual return. Now, Paul's going to expand on this a little bit here. And I think he's going to give us a picture Here's the image I think you could keep in mind. In the ancient world, when a dignitary was visiting a city, cities always had walls and a gate, and so when a dignitary was on his way, the, the city fathers would send out a, a, a delegation to go meet him and then escort him back in. And I think that's the imagery that Paul has in mind here because what he's going to come to next is that we have a hopeful future, a hopeful future. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be together. That is your future. Amen? So, what happens when I die? What happens at, at the end of all days? Now, this is my understanding. Um, this is the controversial part, and I'm not going to wade into that um, because I don't want to leave uh, a trouble for Trevor to, to deal with. But this is why a lot of pastors don't even preach on this is because it can be kind of confusing. But that's so sad because we live in discouraging times, and the whole point of this is that we encourage one another with this. We should be encouraged with this news. Here's what I think is going to happen. When you die, your body and your spirit will be separated and your, your body's going to go into the ground where it's going to begin to decay physically. Your spirit is going to be with Jesus in heaven. What does that exactly mean? It means the presence, the non-worldly, the non-temporal space or world or reality where Jesus resides. Then one day the Lord will appear in the sky and it'll be almost like the world becomes flat because the Bible says that every eye will see and everybody can hear it, everybody can see it. I don't know how that's going to work. 
but all at once an angel is going to cry out. Can you imagine what that's going to be like when an angel cries in such a way that every set of ears on the planet can hear him? An angel cries out. A trumpet blast. The voice of the Lord comes. What will that be like? And the graves open up and their bodies will be new resurrected bodies, will connect with their spirits that are descending with Jesus from the clouds. Phenomenal. Now don't worry about if somebody was cremated or burned in a fire. The Lord will take care of all that. It doesn't make any difference because a body that died a thousand years ago, they're just dirt anyway now. They're gone. The Lord will sort, sort all those kind of logistics out. But those bodies, those people in the graves will be, will be reunited with their bodies. And then all the people that are still alive, all the Christians that are still living, they just kind of go up in the clouds and they meet the Lord. And then this whole troop, this whole uh, army of people will come back to the earth and the earth will be a resurrected earth, a new earth, a new creation, the new Jerusalem. I think that's how it goes. And I think it will be the most phenomenal thing that anybody would ever have experienced because there we will be with the Lord forever. We're not going to be floating around on clouds for all of eternity in spirits with angels, angel bodies. That's not going to be the deal. We'll be walking on this earth. A friend of mine says, I don't have a bucket list because whatever happens in the new creation is going to be better than what we got here and I'm just going to go do it all. I think he's right. Now, let me say this. I don't think that the emphasis of this passage is on a timeline of the exact sequence of events, and that's where we can go sideways and try to sort all that out. I think the emphasis is on the dead and the living will all end up together, and all believers will be with the Lord forever, and our final destiny is not death, but eternal life in the new creation. That's the deal. The scripture was read earlier from Amos 9, 14, and 15. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. Imagine that. I think that was a prophecy for its day, for Amos' day that would be worked out in history, but it's also a prophecy that looks forward to this, that the Lord will restore the fortunes of his people. That is your future. And yes, we look around at this world and we say, this place is falling apart. This is just a terrible season. There's a war going on that could get much worse. This doesn't look good. Right. Right. We're, we're realists about that. That's why we need a cross. But we're also realists about the hope in the future because there was an empty tomb. That empty tomb changes everything. We're moving into Easter season. You'll be considering Easter very, very soon here, and that reality will come home even more to us. But that is our hopeful future. There's one more piece of this, and this is really critical here today. We also have a hopeful present, a hopeful present. Do you see it there in verse 18? It's right there. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul's going to go on in chapter 5 to talk more about the return of Christ, and he's going to say at the end of that in verse 11, 511, look at that. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So, 
I know sometimes you go to church, you've been to church over the course of your life, and you say, yeah, what the preacher said today didn't really apply. I didn't really know what I'm supposed to do. There's just no real clear application. Well, today we've got a very clear application, and it's not because I made up a great application. It's because it's right there in the text. Before you walk out the door today, you can do these words. You can do this with each other, and that is to encourage one another with this great news. This is the deal. The Lord is coming to earth, and he's going to set everything right like Samwise Gamgee said to Gandalf at the end of The Lord of the Rings, is everything sad going to come untrue? The answer is yes. Yes, it is. This is our hopeful present. Now, a couple concluding thoughts. One, this passage, and definitely this sermon, is not designed to answer all your questions about the end times. I'm not even here to stir that up today. That's not what this is about. Another thing is that this passage is meant to enhance Christian living in the present. You might be tempted to fill yourself up with things that will only drain you. Sometimes the things that we, we, we imbibe, that we drink, that we think will satisfy, actually just leave us parched and thirsty for more. And the wreckage, again, is all around us. The third thing I would say is don't sit around looking up at the sky. The whole message of Thessalonians is to get on with your business, do your work, love the Lord through your, your obedience, love one another, aspire to live quietly, minding your own business, serving expectantly, waiting for our blessed hope. And this is the application for today. Encourage one another with these words. I encourage you to do that. Act on that today. Why? Because well, it's right here. Why? Because we need it. Amen? We live in discouraging times. But we have the gospel. We have the cross. We have the empty tomb. We have the reigning king. We have the sure expectation that he's coming back. And he's going to go way beyond just fixing everything. He's going to fix everything. But it's not just going to be a fix. It's going to be paradise for eternity. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank you for these words. We believe they come from you. We believe this is your message for us. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would encourage their hearts, encourage all of us today. And I pray for those who maybe would say, I don't even know if I know Jesus yet. Boy, Lord, we just are trusting you to draw them in by your love. Draw them in by your grace. Because we want to see this family grow and expand. We're trusting you for all of this. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.